Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Today's show is from a recent live event Brian presented at. Let's listen in. My wife will tell you I don't watch movies and I don't watch documentaries. I study them. When I find something I like, I wear it out. It drives her bananas. She's the kind of, okay, we saw that. And now it's the 35th time, Brian. And after a while, it's just pieces of it. But it's, if it's something that's really powerful, there are certain movies, there are certain documentaries, and I get into them because there's this universal principle or there's some power of impact in there, and I start digging around, digging around. And that's why usually I'm able to see some things in movies that a lot of people don't see. How many of you have ever seen that, right? So I give you some insights and whatever else. Well, this might be... How many of you have watched It's a Wonderful Life a few times? And it's kind of a cool thing, right? It's an American tradition, worldwide tradition now, probably considered the greatest holiday movie, Christmas movie. And you probably missed something because you didn't watch it 150 times <laughs> while your wife was coming in. The opening scene of the movie sets the stage for what ultimately the movie is trying to help people with. Turns out the movie, and we'll talk about Frank Capra, Frank Capra was greatly influenced by the personal growth and development business. Acres of Diamonds, Think and Grow Rich, Earl Nightingale was a friend of his. He and Jimmy Stewart would share books back and forward. If you start digging behind, you'll see a lot of clues that very successful people have made. There are no self-made millionaires. They've all gotten help from these other places. Okay? And so, in this movie, the opening scene, and there's Bedford Falls. And the scene starts with George in trouble. And all the people in Bedford Falls that love and know George are saying a prayer for him. Do you guys know what I'm talking about, the opening scene? And they're like, please help me, Daddy, and please help George. And the fellow, Mr. Gower, that almost poisoned a child, and he worked for him, he saved him, and he's the guy who starts it off. And all the people he impacted, they're all saying prayers. And so you have this scene, right? And it's the 1940s, so here's this moon going across, and it's like a cardboard cutout and a fellow with a hand like this, right? And then all of a sudden, you see a scene where the angels are having a conversation. Do you guys know the scene? Well, I'm going to show you something new about something old. Because there's a dialogue that goes on. And we got this guy, George. He's in trouble. We need to send somebody down. We're going to send Clarence down. Anybody know what Clarence's profession was? He was a clockmaker. Very important, because no one understands the value of time more than a clockmaker. The next thing, they say, we got this fellow, George Bailey, and he's in trouble. And he goes, is he sick? And the answer was, no, much worse. What's much worse than being sick? Do you remember what he said? He's discouraged. The purpose of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is to encourage the discouraged. Last night I was talking about the news and the this and the that and all the different things in the United States of anxiety and whatever else. And people are becoming more and more discouraged. See, I am a guy who loves finding diamonds. And the way you find diamonds is you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig right where you are. There's diamonds in your database. There's diamonds in your family. There's diamonds in your relationships. You're a diamond yourself. You think, I have to go do this. I have to do this extraordinary thing. I have to do that. Everything you need is right underneath your nose and everything you need is in here and in here. Everything you need. We just got to knock off some of the rough edges. That's all. Have you ever felt discouraged? 
All right. A nice, open, honest audience. Let's try this way. How many of you have ever had a friend who's been discouraged? You bring this information back to these people. It's a feeling of having lost hope or confidence. You ever lost hope? You ever had a loss of confidence? I hope you have, because if you haven't, you might not be human, and you might be out of touch as a human being. Are you with me? Now at the end, the clockmaker Clarence, who's talking about, is he sick? No, he's not. He's what? And he's thinking about giving away God's greatest gift. What's God's greatest gift? Write it down. This is the book. This is the book that It's a Wonderful Life is based on. It started out as a Christmas card. A fellow wrote a Christmas card. And it's called The Greatest Gift. It wasn't called It's a Wonderful Life. And it was a Christmas card that had about five pages to it. And this Philip Van Dorn Stern sent it out to all his family and friends. And they said, this is great. And then he added a few more pages to it. And it's a very small book, which, by the way, is the, the power, right? And then it went from Billy to Jack and Billy to Jack and it was bought for $10,000. And then this fella, big studio, got it and they had three of the top writers in Hollywood try to write the story and it became a disaster. And Frank Capra read the book and then he read the script and he goes, that's a disaster because that's a Hollywood movie. He said, I read Think and Grow Rich and Acres of Diamonds and this is about inspiring people. Frank Capra did not make any money with It's a Wonderful Life. It did okay in the box office, but his business didn't do great as a result of it. He went on to have huge success and whatever else. It was not the movie that made him any money. In fact, his studio went bankrupt a few years later, and he had to start over as an older man. Now, he later became a huge success, and he's known as one of America's greatest and the world's greatest directors. But he said this movie was his favorite. Just a tip. It's not always about the greenbacks. You follow me? So... I want to introduce you to another phenomenal personal growth and development. He, understand, Frank Capra took criticism like you take criticism. You get criticism like this. Going to the seminar, are you? Going to get all fired up, are you? Haven't you been before? Are you a little slow? The critics call Frank Capra's work Capricorn because they said his movies were corny. Nobody knows the name of those critics anymore. But people know who Frank Capra is. And people have been influenced by Frank Capra for generations with his corny little movies that inspired us all. What was the key point? No one is a failure. Everyone was born to do something. No one's a failure. Everyone's born to do something. Zig Ziglar used to say, failure is an event, not a person. Joe Nego says, failure is not even an event, it's a perception of an event. Joe would go on a listing appointment, wouldn't get it. The greatest listing agent in the history of the real estate industry missed out on a lot of listings. Now, here's what he used to do. He'd call back the seller. Hey, I respect your decision. Just want to know it was a pleasure to meet you. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to grow. What advice would you, or feedback would you have for me so I can get better? And he said the listings he didn't get are what ultimately helped him become the greatest listing agent in the history of real estate. What do we do? I lost the listing. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. My confidence is down. I've lost hope. I get discouraged. Boom, 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 boom. Failure is not a person. It's not a person. You guys with me? And every life was designed to do something because we're all diamonds. 
So what causes discouragement? First, the pace of life. One of the most profound authors of our time, Ferris Bueller, said this. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. For years, I didn't let my kids watch that movie. <laughs> they love it. Second, greener grass syndrome. Greener grass syndrome. Greener grass. If I'm not happy here, I'll be happy there. I tell people all the time, sometimes you got a glass of milk that's starting to sour, and people focus on getting a new refrigerator. You know the thing about greener grass? It's still got to be mowed. You follow me? It's a long time. You're going to see that the human condition hasn't changed. I'm going to show you quotes from 100 years ago, 300 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. And you're going to see the human condition, the things that people were stressed about and pressured by, hasn't changed in all of human history. Frederick Koenig said, happiness doesn't come as a result of getting something we don't have, but rather the recognizing and appreciating of what? Does that sound like something your mother told you? Was she right? Here's a note. Mom was always right. I'm very bullish on America. I'm very excited about the future. I believe the U.S. and Canada are going to continue to explode prodigiously. I believe the rest of the world is going to grow. I think there's a lot of great things in the future. I've said five times more millionaires in the next 50 years. I've told you all the things. I'm excited for my kids and grandkids. If you were going to say, there's one thing that scares me, and it's more than North Korea... The number one thing that scares me about the future and it gives me apprehension about the future is this next thing right here. It's a creeping sense of entitlement. It's a killer. It's a killer. And it is everywhere. Entitled means believing oneself to be inherently deserving of privilege or special treatment. I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. And what happens is you had what was, you know, they called the greatest generation that came out of the Depression and they fought the war and then built the suburbs and massive growth. Well, that generation was fantastic in a lot of ways, but one of the things they weren't was they weren't the most emotionally connected. They might not tell you they love you. For years, my father, a loving man, never said the word love because that was a sexual word. And he'd always say, I want you to take care of one another. That was his idea of communicating that, right? Just those words. Here's the deal. Compared to his dad, he was Oprah. You follow me? You know, one of the things, and Joe just experienced this, every time I've gone to Normandy and you get a guide, I said, what's the best part of the job? And he goes, well, for the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, I've had a veteran of World War II sitting in the front seat. And the place has kind of stayed the same. It kind of looks the same. They've left a lot of the stuff the same. Normandy's a magical place. And they're driving around. He says, my favorite part is the veteran will be telling stories. Oh, we came in here and we did this and we did that. And their family will be in the back. And at the end of the day, the family will come up and say, I never heard any of this. I went to Normandy and we brought home these clickers. They were their clickers and how they were identified each other. And click, click. So we sent them to the Nego boys. And the Nego boys, of course, are running around. Five boys in the Nego. Was, click, 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 click. Joe really appreciated that. <laughs> Sorry, bud. And uh, the kids are doing it. And Joe's father-in-law who he's very close with, recently passed, goes, oh, I used to have one of those. What? You know, I had one of those. Why'd you have one of those? Well, I came in the day after the Normandy invasion. What? I was in Audie Murphy's brigade. I, I served with the most decorated man in the history of the U.S. military. He didn't say any of that, of course. He just said, oh, yeah, I served with Audie Murphy. Joe's like, huh? And he's on the phone. Who's Audie Murphy, Brian? <laughs> 
true. That's the way we're friends. <laughs> he didn't know. By the way, going back to Normandy with his boys now and whatever else, he's got this rich heritage. Like, that's the whole point of the emigrant edge stuff, is going back to the people who came before and tapping into that power and using it for today. But where are we at today? We've gone from the greatest generation that didn't say anything to today. It's every freaking thought and emotion is okay. And Molly Cottle, we don't want you hurt. We don't want you upset. We don't want them poo-poo. I got to make sure they don't get hurt because they'll break in half and they'll be in a psychologist chair. And I can't do that. And if we miss out and they don't get on practice and not in the chair team, and if they don't get an A, and if they're not starting, and they're just going to die. I live this. Our kids play competitive sports and they play them well, obviously. And so... Yes, they get their good looks from their mother, but the athletic power. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep selling it if you'll buy it. Anyway, so my kids, they, they just recently joined the school. The school's 19 years in existence, never won a championship. The girls won a volleyball championship as freshmen, co-MVPs. They won a basketball championship. The freshmen scored 28 points in the finals. Bang, bang, banners going up all over the building. They don't know what to do. The boys come in, hadn't won a championship in years. Banners comes in. The AD, I need to take you to lunch. They won four banners. They never won four banners. They never won any banners. And he's like, are you guys happy? Just want to make sure you're happy. You want to fire the coach? You want to do any? You want a building? Statue? Anything? So they're playing competitive sports. I'm telling you, the competitive sports scene is a freaking disaster because my little poo-poo is not starting and we're paying $500 a month and poo-poo deserves to play. So what we're going to do is hold a coup against the coaches and get all the other parents pissed off and da 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 da, da. And this is every sport. How about poo-poo? Comes in early and stays late. How about poo-poo learns the magic of sitting on a bench and feeling that pressure and feeling that frustration and I've got to get better and I've got to get to work and I'm either going to quit this thing or I'm going to get great at it. And, I'm going to, and in the meantime, I'm going to be a great teammate and I'm going to cheer and fire up and I'm going to tell you the entitlement is everywhere and the people who are the worst at it are the parents. It's not the kids I'm concerned about. Here's the data, okay? It's not just Brian needs to get this off his chest. A's on the rise in the USA. They're up 37%, the amount of A's that are rewarded today. But the SAT scores are down 26%. Huh? Let me explain. Number of A's is up more than a third. The SAT scores are almost down a third. What do you think's happening? Mom or dad are coming in banging on the teachers. They need to be in an AQIP course. They need to be this. They need to be that because being great, it's great. It's GPA. Oh, you don't get into college. You don't meet the right man. They don't mind Mr. Harvard. There's seven. So what are we doing? You're getting an A when you don't deserve it, and yet your true education is going down. The science is in. Do you know that the first participation awards were given away 28 years ago in America? You know, everybody got a trophy, right? We've had this big debate, right? And it's competitive versus not competitive. The spirit of the game. So there's a lot of argument. By the way, I can make arguments for both sides in regards to what sports is and what it should be. It shouldn't all just be about winning in championships, which it's not. It's ultimately about character development and polishing diamonds. All of these activities are. But here's the problem. The science is in. Here's what we know. When you give out participation awards to the whole team, the best players on the team don't value it at all. And the kids who didn't deserve it, 
they're showing now, 28 years later, very low self-esteem because they got awarded when they knew they didn't deserve it. When you reward somebody not at their best, they don't have to be a star of the team. There's only one star on every team. I was not the star on my team, but I became a very important part of every team I ever played on. Okay, but there's so many values and things that they can learn and grow and develop from. Are you guys with me? Okay, so here's the A's in school. Here's the sports side. Here's the University of Michigan just produced a report. Big deep breath. You're not going to believe this. 700 largest employers in the United States. Here's the data. One third of these companies say they have received hundreds of applicants for jobs that were submitted by parents of the kids and not the kids. Next. 25% of these companies have received at least weekly a phone call from a parent wondering why their child has not gotten a promotion or a raise. Worse, 4% of the applicants that were submitted by parents, the parents showed up on the job interview. This is being recorded. By the way, if you show up at Buffini and Company and you bring mommy, bring bus fare home. We don't want them to get hurt. We don't want them to go on an interview and fail. When you go on the interview and you fail, you go, okay, and I find out I said that wrong and I do this, maybe the next one will be a better one. Can I get better? Can I get better? Can I work harder? Can I say later? Can I come in earlier? And that's all the stuff that makes you a bleeding winner in the first place. We are taking away all the stuff that makes people have to win. Here's the thing. We've become a culture that's addicted to comfort. And with that comfort comes a sense of entitlement for everything. What else? We get distracted. Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor, wrote one of the most powerful books of the 20th century called Man's Search for Meaning. And he said, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. Beverly said something to me last night. Now, by the way, I like some of the Metallica songs, Sandman's a favorite of mine, and we had some clients who went there last night, and it's great. And I'm going to U2, I'm going to Neil Diamond on Wednesday, I go to these things. But Beverly said, man, it hurts my heart. I go, what, honey? We just had a great night. She goes, there's 50,000 people over there. There's only 3,000 people at Mastermind. She goes, don't those 50,000 people need this stuff? And I said, we'll get them. I said, we're going to fire up the 3,000 that are there, and they'll go get the 50,000. We might have to get a few tattoos, but it's fine. Fair. Culture of escapism causes discouragement. We escape. No mouth, check out, into reality shows, into sports programs, into we go on Netflix binging. Is it wrong? No, there's shows that are worth watching and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to burn a half a day and watch it. Great, knock yourself out. You just can't do it the next day and the next day and the next day. Are you guys with me? By the way, it's a new problem, right? Abe Lincoln said this about escapism. You cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. The human condition hasn't changed. Human condition hasn't changed. So let's see now if you have any symptoms of discouragement in your life or your friend has these symptoms. You can watch out for them. First, stressed out. Stressed out, baby. Okay. Here it is. Here's 800 BC. Human condition hasn't changed. Lao Tzu said this. If you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you're at peace, you're living in the... Be fully present. Be fully present with the people you are. Be fully present here. Be fully present with your loved ones. Be fully present. That's the magic. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what life holds. Just be wherever you are. My mother used to say, everywhere you go, there you are. 
And I would have changed it now and, and take it another step further. Everywhere you go, there you be. Okay? Dissatisfied with your circumstances. Okay? Let's go back to the ancient Greeks. What did the Greeks say about dissatisfied with their circumstances? Heraclitus said this, The world is nothing but a great desire to live and a great dissatisfaction with living. Physiologically, we want to live. We'll fight, bite, scratch, and claw to live. Is that true? And then while we're living, we tend to have dissatisfaction with the living we're having. Be here now. Be here now. Some of you are fighting a sickness right here, right now. Be present now. By being present now and being at peace now, by the way, it'll help you get healthier. Or at least help the treatments go better. You with me? All right, here it is. You ready? Big deep breath. Big deep breath. My mission in life is to comfort the afflicted. And afflict the comfortable. We're all going to get it here. How many of you believe you're a diamond? How many of you know you have a little bit of rough? How many of you are a little rougher than most? This is going to knock a little rough off. Big deep breath. I'm going to share with you an indicator for an absolute mirror on whether you have entitlement in your heart and mind. And we all have it. And it's constantly complaining. Everything you complain about is something you believe you're entitled to. Everything you complain about is something you believe you're entitled to. And the world we live in today, people complain online and in social media to the whole bleeding world. I want you all to know I'm entitled. I'm complaining about this person because I feel like I'm entitled for this person to treat me this way. And I'm not saying this has nothing to do with proper expectations. I'm complaining about this service because I think I'm entitled to this. I'm complaining about my health because I think I'm entitled to this. I want to eat crap, not exercise. But it's my parents gave me this DNA. The bottom line is, when you find yourself complaining, and you will, you'll do it before the day and the cock crows three times tonight. <laughs> It'll come out of your mouth and you'll be ah. When you find yourself complaining... It's exposing what you're entitled to. And it, this is a deep one. And you got to dig in, and you got to dig in, and you got to dig in, and you got to dig in. You got to keep digging. There's a diamond. Everywhere you complain, there's a diamond in your life if you'll go dig for it. Are you guys with me? Dig, 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 dig. And what you'll find is a more wonderful life awaits. And a more valuable diamond appears. Are you guys hearing me? Again, nothing new under the sun. Anna named her horse after her favorite president. The horse was called Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt, here's what he said. Complaining about a problem without proposing a solution is called... God, I hate when I whine. I mean, I like the red wine. Right? What's the number one wine in Florida? Why can't this be more like New York? <laughs> Shh. Number four. An inability to be present. An inability to be present. All right, let's go to the 1700s to Blaise Pascal. Because the human condition hasn't changed. Listen to this. We think very little of time present. We anticipate the future as being too slow. Is that true? And with a view to hasten it onward. We recall the past to say it has gone too swiftly. We are so thoughtless that we thus wander through the hours which are not here, regardless of only of the moment that is actually our own. 
Beverly and I have chats like this all the time. On the wrong side of this. Why, where'd the time go? Where'd the days go? Is it the masters again? Is that good? Is it that time of year? Right? Oh, here's what's going on. We do this and we want, we want it to go fast and faster. Okay, great. And then we look back, back, back. That's too slow. And then we miss out on the precious present. Human condition hasn't changed. And today we say, oh, it's this, this of social media and it's the phone and it's this. Life's always been like this. And then conforming to the culture. If you conform to the culture, you won't end up in a wonderful life. Everybody's guaranteed the pursuit of happiness. There are people in life that, to this stage in their life, have never even experienced happiness. They don't even know how to get there. There are some people who refuse it. Every gift of happiness that's been given to them, they refuse. If you conform to the culture, will you be wealthy? If you do what everybody else does, will you be wealthy? Will you be happily married a long time? Not when they pump out 92% of all sexy and whatever else you want to call it, situations on television are never between a husband and a wife or people who are actually married. Raising your kids. Oh, no, there's the terrible twos. We didn't have the terrible twos. We didn't have the right kids. We didn't have the terrible teens. It wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. Very simple. We made the rules. We had a conversation, right? We had a conversation. They've heard it many times. I brought you into this world. I can take you out and make another one look just like you, right? Right, babe? No. Boom. There's plenty more where that came from. There's six of you. Bang, one goes, won't be missed. I tell the kids, hang out with your buddies, dance with your buddies, but don't become your buddies. Let your buddies become like who you're trying to become. Let them become who they're supposed to be. Champion your buddies that are different than you. I'm fantastic. My kids don't hang out with just athletes. They hang out with all kinds of people. The boy's best friend, he's the worst athlete you ever met in your life. I guess they know who I'm talking about. You know what? He's the greatest kid, and he's almost like an adopted member of the family. And he makes the place light up when he walks in the door. And he's just a cool character, very different interests. They champion him for who he is, and he's different. He's a diamond, of course. Yeah, you with me? A man named Paul, who started out with a bad deal, probably some kind of eyesight deficiency. This was a guy that built the largest organization in the history of the world, Christian church. And he wrote a letter to his friends in Rome. Now, this is important. Rome at the time, about 55 AD, was a wild place. Nero was on the throne. It was wild. They were killing people, and it was, you know, pulling people apart and setting people on fire. All kinds of stuff. Crazy, crazy. You know what the Romans, when they were starting to go downhill. So he wrote a letter to his friends. That's all it was, just a letter. And he said, hey, don't conform to this world. Don't conform to those folks. And then he said this. It was the first personal growth statement ever written down. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed. And then he gave him the how-to by renewing your mind. Right? That's 2,000 years. You guys are here to renew your mind. You're taking in good information. You're going to do lots of things to renew your mind. Now, I'm going to show you something here. I'm going to give you some of the symptoms of our time. I'm going to give you three quick ones. I'm going to do a little, uh, a little edgier thing, but I think it'll really be instructive and helpful. First, what goes on today? People are quick to take offense. Very quick hair triggers. You ever flown commercially? Prime to overreact. Quick to judgment. Those are the symptoms of our time. Quick to take offense. Prime to overreact. Quick to judgment. Have you had this happen on a real estate transaction? People, they got about this much information and they take this much from it immediately. Have you seen that happen? Mole hills become what? 
This is one of the symptoms of our time is fast and fast and fast. Bang! I've watched it in our own database. We have the greatest database in the world, but I've watched it here recently. More and more and more. Just a little bit of information. People didn't read the whole thing. Wham! So what? So I'm going to give you this. Adam came and was one of my assistants for the summer. Alex got the warehouse. Adam got me. Okay? They can talk about who got the raw deal. And Adam's doing a lot of things. And they look at dad's mail and dad, you're the greatest. And da 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 I get some other stuff too. And so what I did was I took this email. And I get, it, I get different responses to everything. But I, I took an email and I kind of doctored it and changed it so that nobody would be outed. And so that you don't feel like if you send me a letter, it's going to end up on a screen, even though it might. <laughs> but I want to show you the elements, the three elements I just gave you. Okay? And then we'll walk through it. And I'm going to show you this because I know you experience this in your business and life. And I want to show you what I do and maybe it'll help you. Is that fair? Okay, so it's a little edgier. I was not going to do this, but I think it'll help if I do it right. So, I get an email. Brian, you may not want to hear my story. That was the subject in the email. I'm not sure how old your video is, talking about peak producers. But you made a racist comment in day one that totally made me want to leave the class. Bang. You discussed that other trainers and how they have so much information, it's like a Chinese phone book. Are you kidding me with that? I have two Chinese daughters that have more than enough of their share of indirect and subtle racism. You purport to be a church-going person. You seem like a nice guy. And typically, 90% of your message is good. What the hell, Brian? Totally disillusioned. Wanted to walk out of the video class the minute you used this ridiculous joke. So, boom. Wham, 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 wham. Now... When we get something like that, what's our natural human reaction? I, I don't think I'm a racist. I mean, I don't know. You'll hear from my wife later. We'll, we'll find out. So would it be easy for me to defend myself and just send them a picture? Okay? So just quick to judgment. Da, 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 da. It escalated quick. Is that true? So I'm a man of principle, and I will always, I'm very careful with people's hearts, always. I might be impatient in some things in life, but I'm not impatient when it comes to personal interactions and people. And I'm a man guided by principle. So here's one of the Proverbs. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to go at her. I've had 90,000 people take that training program. You're the first person to ever write an answer like that. I'm not a racist. Here's a picture. And obviously I thought those things. So I said this, in part. Thanks for your recent email. I'm very sorry to hear that any remarks of mine could cause you such distress. Genuinely. I never would want anything I would say, no matter how anybody took it, out of context. I just would never want to cause hurt for people, so I'm going to share my heart with you. Please accept my apologies for any offense taken. Okay? Fair? Here's the response that came back. Now, it was about seven pages. But it goes, Brian, thank you so much for your message, and please know that your response is so appreciated. What does matter is that you took the time to reach out, recognize, and respond. As a long-time professional in this business, I've always done that too when a client is unhappy and do not turn away from whatever their issues are. However, it is rare, and you are one of the 1% of anyone who has ever responded, which means there's 99 others. How refreshing to see that you're the real deal. Now listen, this is it. May I tell you a little bit about myself? And it went on for pages. She was just looking for someone to understand her. She was just looking for someone to understand her. She's walking around with that all the time. She comes in contact with some little thing. Wham! Is that common in our culture today? And so what do we do? Someone attacks you. What do you want to do? You want to fight back? They don't call us the loving Irish, the caring Irish, the sweet Irish. The fighting freaking Irish, right? 
That's my nature. It's everything in me. But people's hearts are important. And it's this. Seek first to understand, not be understood. Fair? And so you write the response. Hey, I'm sorry if you're offended. I can understand how you're offended. I didn't return your call last night because you were this. Very sorry for any distress I caused you. And lead that way. Now, sometimes it doesn't end up in a happy ending. Is that true? But you're living the wonderful life. You're the diamond in the rough. You recognize there's other diamonds in the rough, and you're just getting exposed to their rough at that moment. Are you guys with me? So what does it mean? Be more of a diamond. Diamonds are the hardest, toughest substance on earth. Diamonds can cut through steel. Be a diamond. We're complaining and whining and this and and that and and entitled and this and that and the other. We're getting softer is what's happening. But we're designed to be diamonds, not hard-hearted. Soft-hearted. Diamond-minded. Does that make sense? Diamond minds, soft heart. Cook them with peanut oil now. We go through these things and then what happens is people stay there. They don't move on instead of recognizing their own error. Sometimes you just got to move on. I have been known to make mistakes. I know that's hard for anyone to believe. And I've become much better at recognizing it or being open to hearing it. And then, great. And then what is it? It's feedback. Like Joe said, I'm going to get better. The next piece is binge feeding on negativity. Just sitting there watching it, listening. And I just say this. I say, if you want to be disciplined, you want to read the headlines, you want to do a bit of this, you want to do that, great. Okay? But... Is this stuff here, I'll just be honest with you, let me ask you. Is that stuff there going to make you a millionaire? Is it going to make you happier? Healthy, wealthy, wise? Leave a lasting legacy? No. So don't get caught up in that. I'm not saying don't do that. Folks, you don't have to go, never doing that again. That's never going to happen. I'm just saying, make sure you have a much healthier balance over here. You have a 20-minute drive to the office. I made the podcast usually 50 minutes because it's 25 minutes is the average commute. That's why I do it. And you're going to hear one part one way and hear the other part the other way. That's what I did it for. And if you have 30 minutes, you can throw on Metallica and finish fired up. <laughs> All right, let's talk about how to make life wonderful. First thing is perspective. Perspective. Harry Truman said... It's a recession when your neighbor loses his job. It's a depression when you lose yours. Is that true? I got a wonderful story I think you're going to like. My bride and I, in 1994, happened upon the islands of Hawaii. And sometimes in life, it's just a fit. And whatever it is, I don't know how many hundreds of times we've been there since. But we get on the plane and we just... Just on the plane getting there. We've had flights when we got there. It's five and a half hours or whatever. And I go, you ready to go back? And she goes, I can handle it now. We're just in a different state, right, babe? So we bought a house over there for years. And it turned out to be the lifeboat because when the house burned down, any little mementos that we did have was there was a little bit of stuff over in the house in a way. And it's in a place near a, a place called Mauna Kea Beach. And Lawrence Rockefeller built the first resort on the big island of Hawaii in the 1960s. And this is just, it's the most idyllic, place you've ever been in your life. And so we get up every morning, walk the beach and hand in hand and whatever else. And it's just always been our morning ritual and it's just awesome and yada yada. And you few moments, you have no kids. It's just wonderful. (laughs) And um, 
there also there was an earthquake that happened and the Monacay Hotel, the little older hotel, and it had some earthquake damage. So for about a two-year period of time, the hotel was going under construction and nobody was there except the homeowners. And we would have that place to ourselves. Like all day. Might be four people on the beach for a season. It was a little taste of heaven. Now, once in a while, I'm there and I'm thinking of something. I get inspired and I'll jump into the water. And here's the thing. I never learned to swim. Growing up in the south side of Dublin, there was one pool called Glen Alban. It was over near our house. And most of the lads in my neighborhood thought it was for bath night. Okay, so you got in and the chlorine was like this thick on the top of the water. And so I never learned to swim. But I love the water. I'm in the water more than anybody. And I developed like many things in life when you don't take the time to do it right. So I end up with this hybrid swimming stroke. <laughs> now, AJ, my son, marries this college swimmer who's one of the best swimmers in the country. She's this champion. And she saw me swimming one time and she just said, I can't see that anymore. <laughs> so the front part of me does the breaststroke. The back part of me does the, you know, just kick straight. What is that thing? What's that? What? Freestyle. Freestyle. So I do the freestyle in the back. I do the breaststroke in the front. I'm not too confident in the water, so I don't let me face in the water at the proper breaststroke. So I'm up like this, like a turtle. So that's what happens. And it's my stroke, and as long as no one's on the beach, it's great. In fact, true story... That's how turtles swim. And on that beach, there's a family of giant turtles. And there's one old green turtle. And he loves swimming with me. Because I swim just like him. Yeah. And it's great. The water's 80 degrees. There's no waves. Everything's good. On occasion, things change in a way. The trade ones come in. This and that and the other. So one morning, walking along, me and my love of my life. And I go, babe, I'm going in for a dip. And she goes back about 50 yards, finds herself a cool space, just cooling out, just taking it all in. And I go up. And all of a sudden, I notice the turtle, who was there, takes off. The next thing you know, I'm, I'm going a little faster, and I'm going this way. The beach is that way, I'm going this way. It's a riptide. I've heard about these things. And all of a sudden kind of lose a little of my composure. Water in the mouth! Waves! Start to panic. I'm going deeper, much deeper than I'm comfortable with, out to the mouth of the bloody thing. I turn, and my bride's about 200 yards away, and now I'm deep, and I'm coming up, and I go, Oh! Perspective. My bride, cooling out. I look up and she goes, Hi! <laughs> Taking on water, swallowing water. Now I'm very pragmatic in my profile. So, what's the first thought you think comes to my mind? I have $20 million worth of insurance policies. She's waving back at me, so she is. She's about to make a fortune. I don't wonder she's happy. First thought I had. So then I remember I saw some documentary sometime. Went in a rip current. Swim parallel to the coast. 
and then ease on in with the next wave. At least that's how my mind remembered it. <laughs> I'm literally floundering and dying. I'm taking on water. Right I spin around and I go parallel to the coast and then about five minutes later I catch a wave and it spits me out like Tom Hanks in Bleeding Castaway. Okay? And I am then doing the old getting the water from where it doesn't belong. Started sand in me face and me ear, hair sideways, faces all red. And then I turn around and lay on me back. And literally like Tom Hanks. And I didn't have a raft. And I'm there. Oh God. Oh God. Thank you. I'm just glad to be alive. Oh, it's good. And I start saying it's just good to be alive. It's just good to be alive. And after I kind of settle down, I look and there's a pair of brown legs standing next to me. And she's just gazing out. And she goes, oh, honey, it's just so good to be alive, isn't it? And I'm... They always want to know where the story's true. We were having two different perspectives. Help! Hi! There's always another side to the coin, right? Sometimes there's two more sides to the coin. And sometimes they're both right. Sometimes help and hi are actually both right. You follow? Enough about that. Second, what makes life wonderful? Redefine what you value. You got to redefine what you value. Oh man, when you live overseas, let me tell you, there's things about America you just can't wait to see. Franz Kraktis, my man, come over here. Come up to me here. This is, there it is. This man was the servant leader of the year at Buffini and Company. Didn't know he was going to bring you up on stage. German immigrant, couldn't speak a word of English when he came here. He's the guy that did the cover of the book. Simon and Schuster, I fought them for nine months. They wanted their people, and I said, nope. Now, yep, my man. Who brought you to America? Who inspired you? Johnny Cash was one of them. Johnny Cash. That's why he's always dressed in black. And you grow up in other countries, you'd grow up with this dream of America and the beauty of America, and there's parts of America, and you go, geez, that's me. Right? And Johnny Cash was one of his heroes that made him get on an airplane, leave everyone he knew, come here, didn't speak a word of English, Donald, and was reading a thing. And this is a great American. He's a great American. So in my house, our Johnny Cash was the king. Elvis Presley. And we were in great mourning. Radio Luxembourg. That's how we listened. Radio Luxembourg. The king is dead. Never forget it. Elvis Presley, here's what he said. Values are like fingerprints. Nobody's are the same. But you leave them all over everything you do. How do you make life wonderful? Faith. Yes, faith in yourself got to believe in yourself. But I'm going to share with you, it's important to believe in something just other than yourself. And we all get to the end of ourselves once in a while. There's a scene in It's a Wonderful Life that is the most poignant scene of the whole movie. And you know what I'm talking about. It's when George Bailey's in that bar. Now, I'm going to tell you, 15 years before method acting was ever even thought about at the actor's studio, you know what Jimmy Stewart did the night before that scene? He took out the names of the 130 men that had died in his command flying missions over Europe. 
He had written a handwritten personal note to every single family. The War Department didn't notify him. He wrote a note to every single family member about their son and who they were and their service. And what he did the night before he did this scene is he read every name and thought about every note and thought about every family member. Because when you get to the end of yourself, sometimes it's good to have something to believe in. Hope. One of my top five movies of all time. Beverly knows it. The movie's a bit uncomfortable for her. Beverly has a great heart for people. And anytime she sees people suffering, it just kills her, you know? But Shawshank Redemption is the one movie that when it's on the TV and I'm just surfing, might be late at night or whatever, that I stop. Every time. I won't watch the whole thing, but I'll stop. I love any story of redemption and a person coming back because it's ultimately acres of diamonds, isn't it? Right? Andy Dufresne, he had to go on the ground for 20 years to discover. You know, when he went into prison, things weren't great. Is that true? He had a miserable life. He was an alcoholic. He was lost his marriage. Things were bad. He came out of a terrible situation, a diamond. The greatest line in the history of movies, which isn't in this scene, is the two men are talking on the wall. And Andy's talking about his dream, where he's going to go, say Wantanay, you remember that? And the greatest line in the history of the movies, Morgan Freeman goes, Andy, those are just shitty pipe dreams. And what did he have to crawl through to get to freedom? But if you read the book, and again, when I get into something, I get into it, get into it, get into it, get into it, and there's always deeper diamonds. The more you dig, the bigger the diamond. Stephen King wrote that book. It's the only Stephen King book I ever read. Morgan Freeman's character in the book is a red-headed Irishman named Red. And they actually address it in the movie. They're throwing baseball back and forth, and they go, what's your name? And he goes, my name's Red. Why do they call you that? And he goes, maybe because I'm Irish. And it's a giggle in the movie. But it's how they got past it. Well, Andy sets him up and starts talking about hope. Hey, man, you ever get this, get out, and I want you to go to a field and dig up a box. You know what I'm talking about? And he says, I want you to go dig something up because there's something there I want you to see. And two things happen. One part, Morgan gets the box, and when he first opens up, he sees cash. He looks at the money, and then he reads the letter, and the letter says, it's about hope. And he said, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and hope never dies. I'm hoping this letter finds you well. Do you remember the name of the place? He's talking about the goal. He's talking about the future. I want to get you out of a bad spot. Morgan Freeman, his character Red, had just gotten out of jail, but as a free man, he was in prison. Is that true? And his predecessor, who'd gotten freed, killed himself, and he was heading for the same place, a desperate place. But what got him out of there was hope. He'd never been out of the state. He'd never been out of the country. But hope, and by the way, when you become a diamond, do you understand that you will give hope to other people? How many of you were inspired by the, the people who performed here on stage last night? Was that, was that great stuff? Because you're looking at them and it reminds you of you. Ultimately, your last to the moon goal will have another very important part of how to make life wonderful, and that's love. Right? And there's so much we could say about that. But sometimes the country and Western guys just have it better than most. And their, their lyrics are just better than everybody's. And old Richard Freeman, he said, Money will buy you a fine dog, but only love can make it wag its tail. <laughs> Joe probably has that song on his iPhone as we speak. All right. 
We're talking about mindset, we're talking about heart set, and now we're going to give you some tools of the trade because we are mindset motivation methodologies. I am all about what you do with this. I want to affect your mind, and then I want you to go do stuff. I want to impact your heart and your habits. Is that fair? So here's the tools of the trade to having a wonderful life. The first thing is exposure. You need to get exposed to more things all across the board. Joys and hardships. A few years ago, I had one of the great privileges of my life afforded to be by two great friends of mine. Peter and Val Gilmore, who are here today. These guys are from South Africa, and my interest in Africans didn't start with Beverly in African-Americans. My mother gave me books as a kid by a man named Wilbur Smith. And if you've ever read Wilbur Smith novels as a teenager, I would just get lost. I would be in Table Mountain, and I would be with the Voor Trekkers, and I would be all over. And it just captured my imagination. And my mother was smart because I wasn't a reader until she gave me books that made me fall in love with reading. And I fell in love with... Southern Africa. And the next thing we meet these fantastic people, basically you join their company, you either do the Buffini stuff or you don't get to join their company. This is the way it is. And they dominate the marketplace in that country. Dominate. And some of the greatest experiences, you've never heard this story. They brought me over to South Africa and we did a tour. And I went over there for a speaking engagement. They rode me like Zorro. I was doing four sessions a day. But then they set us up and they sent us on safari. And one of these days, I'll tell you some stories about that. And it was a dream. I was there and we had this great people and whatever else. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at these mountains and I'm reading a Wilbur Smith book that they presented me with. And it was like, I mean, I can't even describe to you what it was like. But I also wanted to see some other stuff. And there were some Irish missionaries that have a tremendous tradition in South Africa. So me and Dermo... And David Lally, we went driving around and whatever, so we found this one little place. And it turned out, I mean, you're going into towns where everything is a shanty and people are living in these metal, you know, corrugated metal in Africa. And you see stuff and you see things that you can't imagine. And then you see people that have a spirit and a heart that just blows your mind and your eyes get open and your heart gets bigger and you just change your life. Before I left South Africa, I had a chance to go visit with a couple of the folks from their company. And there was one man who had written me a letter a long time ago. He had been given a cassette tape in 2004. And the day after he heard the cassette tape, he booked a flight to go to an Atlanta turning point. Now he went, you guys are like, there's none near my home. (laughs) He went to Atlanta, soaked it up for two days and went home. When I got a chance to meet him, he had just won their Broker of the Year award or whatever, one of the Brokers of the Year, at a celebration. And he walked up to me, and he had this tribe of Africans behind him. And he's shaking his finger like this. Now, I'd read some of the books were where the Zulu sacrificed the white man, I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> and he's shaking his finger at me. And the tears are streaming down his face. And he reaches in, and he has a picture book. And he goes, Brian Buffini, come. And he opens up the book and he shows a picture of himself in front of one of these 10 shacks with his 16 brothers and sisters. He said, I can trace my family's origins from village to village to clan to clan. He said, we were owned for six generations, I can tell you about. He goes, but no member of my family has ever owned a home. And he flipped the picture over and he had this beautiful home. He's standing with his wife and kids and he goes... That came from 100 Days to Greatness. And then he flipped the page over and he showed me a brokerage and he had 16 or 18 
dark African Remax associates. And he goes, this one is big producers. And then he turned the album and it was a blank. And he goes, I need a dream. Help me with the next one. Okay. Unbelievable. When you get exposure, your world gets bigger. You need to see all kinds of things. Going, yeah, it's great to go on Thanksgiving morning, go down. We're going to do it this year. We're going to go feed a bunch of families. Anna's been doing this for years. My daughter led the pack on this. We're busy doing this. Every year, I don't know how many years she does, she loads up her car, her and two other girls, and they go to Skid Row in Oceanside. And giving away all these foods and doing this and yada, yada, yada. Just, your world gets bigger. Your heart gets stronger. It's part of the tools. It makes you appreciate what you have. It kills entitlement. And it grows your heart by giving to somebody else. Are you with me? It's one of the tools of the trade. Here's the next tool of the trade, gratitude. I know you're sick of me talking about this. So are my kids. But get ready. As long as I have breath, I'll be talking about gratitude. Kennedy said, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. Generosity. Oh, man. Generosity expands the heart. You want more of a diamond? You want to be 200 carats instead of half of a carat? <sighs> Exposure. <sighs> cuts away the dross, cuts away the crap, cuts away the rough. Gratitude. <sighs> cuts away the complaining and the thanklessness. <sighs> Generosity. A generous diamond. Oh, is there anything sounds better than that? A generous diamond. John Wesley, a couple of hundred years ago, said this, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Next one, having the crack. It's on the board. Anyone here ever been to Ireland? If you've been to Ireland, you know what crack is. It's not in a pipe. It's not something plumbers do. Crack is a spirit of humor, fun, and enjoyment. Don't take everything so bloody personally. Don't take everything so seriously. The Irish are love. My kids ask all the time, Dad, like they watch the Olympics and there's 100 countries come in. This country's got 60 million people and you never heard of them. And this country's got 50 million people and you never heard of them. And here comes the bleeding Irish and the stadium explodes and there's like three people in the bloody... And it's this tiny little country that's impacted the world. And there's a number of reasons for it. But one of it is, we love to have the crack. We like to have a bit of fun for the love of Mary. Okay? This is a great one here. It says, what did our parents do when they were bored with no internet? I asked my 18 brothers and sisters, and they didn't know either. (laughs) Yeah. But enough about Kilkenny. Here's number five. Celebration. If you're going to have a wonderful life, you've got to celebrate. You've got to have a good time. You've got to mark the moments that are joy. Here's why. By the way, I'm the guy that wants you to write goals and strive and be ambitious and go and do the things. But along the way, you've got to have a few parties and a few celebrations. And the small celebrations that build the bigger celebrations. You've got to do it. Because here's what it does. It concretizes and makes those things in life that are beautiful and tolerable. And it brings them together and makes them real. And it makes you want to do it. Well, at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey comes home. And what has he got? A new perspective. He went from, help, to, hi. 
He went home. The bank examiner was still there. They still had a warrant for his arrest. The newspaper man and the photographer were there to shame him. The house was still drafty. The doorknob still came off in his hands. Everything was the same, but he wasn't the same. You see, some of the roughness had gotten dropped off and in walked a diamond and he faced the same challenges, but now he was a diamond in mind and soft in heart. So his circumstances didn't hit him at all. And the beauty of It's a Wonderful Life is the celebration at the end. Make time for celebration. Make sure it's in the calendar. Make sure it's in the schedule. Make sure you take the time to celebrate. This is a celebration for two and a half days, isn't it? I'm glad you guys come every year. Okay? I'll be honest with you. Every year, I get to feel like George Bailey. Honest to God. I saw people on Facebook. They were queuing up at four in the morning to sign up for next year. I had to pop by and see them. I was like, Wow. I get to feel like George Bailey all the time. Here's the deal. No different for you. Just put yourself in a position to celebrate. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can. So be sure to share it with others. And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. We love hearing the feedback. You can check out the show notes on thebrianbuffinishow.com. We're on Android, so you can download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. So as I finish here today, I'd like to leave you with the Irish blessing that Brian always ends the show on. It's something his grandfather used to always say. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 